You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is a Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about the ball game I just went to, which was a matchup between the low-A Tampa Tarpons, which is the Yankees affiliate, and the low-A Jupiter Hammerheads, which is the Marlins affiliate. Of course, Jason Dominguez plays for the low-A Tampa Tarpons, was able to see five at-bats of his, three from the right side, two from the left side, a lot on Dominguez that I want to talk about. Also, some other intriguing prospects from that ball game on both sides that I'm going to quickly go through. And then I want to talk about the home run race in the minor leagues right now because we have Griffin Conine of the Marlins who is leading the way now with another home run yesterday. That is now six and five games, I believe. Then MJ Melendez has been unconscious as well, absolutely raking. So I want to talk about those two guys and what their big league outlook is because I think there's a lot of intrigue with both of them. And I think both can be mainstays at the big league level, even despite Conine's swing and miss issues. And Melendez is in the past. MJ Melendez has really put it together this season. And I want to talk about that as well. Then finally, at the end, a little bit on Hunter Green, who put together probably one of the most dominant outings of his minor league career. And his stuff is really coming along as he's now got three viable pitches and, of course, the fastball, which can flatten out at times, but now he's locating it at 102. That's going to be a major problem for hitters, even if it's a bit flat, especially if he's mixing in a changeup and a tighter slider. So wanted to talk a little bit about him as well. And somebody that, as we get closer to releasing this JustBaseball.com Top 100 list that I keep talking about, it's going to be interesting. We might have to revisit Hunter Green as I continue to watch him. He might end up getting a boost even higher than we initially had him. We already had him pretty darn high, so going to talk about that in the latter half of the episode. So let's talk about the man himself, Jason Dominguez, because I really had wanted to see him more than what we saw in the Futures game. I wanted to see more than just a couple at-bats, and I was able to see quite a bit. And I want to really preface with one thing is he stands out beyond belief. And I have this full write-up at JustBaseball.com where you can see everything in depth about my write-up on Dominguez. But I'm going to get to most of the points here. But if you want to read along or if there's more info that you want, definitely check out the article as well as other prospects on that low-A Tarpons team that stood out to me. But with Dominguez, he struck out in his first two plate appearances, and from the right side, he seemed to really struggle to stay back. Granted, he was facing one of the softest throwing pitchers in professional baseball in Luis Palacios, who sits about 86 to 88 with his fastball. He's a southpaw, has a changeup in the low 80s, and a slurvy breaking ball in the mid to high 70s, but it was just a little bit surprising to see how much Dominguez was struggling to stay back. So he was either way out front and beating it into the ground foul or yanking it foul. And Palacio set him up a couple times with something softer down and then blew 86 miles per hour by him 
for strike three both times, and that was surprising to see. But then he adjusted in the third at-bat, which was really encouraging. Got ahead 2-0, was sitting dead red on a fastball, and smacked an 86-mile-an-hour fastball, which was belt high, 387 feet out to left center. Did a better job of staying back there, which you would hope, given that it was a 2-0 count and he was sitting on a fastball and it was belt high. But it was good to see, and it was also a good example of just how easy his power is. He didn't get all of it, still hit it 101 miles an hour and nearly 400 feet because he has just ridiculous strength. He stands out beyond belief. I can't emphasize it enough. He's almost too big, and that's something I'm going to get to a little bit as well. But I would say the left-handed swing is so much further along than the right-handed swing right now. And given that he's going to hit more from the left side throughout pro ball and at the major league level if he makes it there, of course you would rather have him be stronger from the left side. But I was a little bit discouraged by how inconsistent his lower half was from the right side, how much he struggled to stay back. There's a lot of moving parts to his swing, a lot of movement, even from the left side as well, and he struggles to time it all up from the right side. That's why he's either way too early or even tardy on pitches that he has no business being tardy for. He's a guy with just immense, immense raw bat speed, but if you're out front on a ball, you're subconsciously going to slow your bat down so you don't swing too early and totally miss it. So we saw some instances there in that game where he was just slowing it down a little bit, just trying to make contact because he was so far out front and lunging onto that front foot. The other component was that the Jupiter Hammerheads were well aware of that approach or lack of approach that Dominguez has. They were playing him heavily shifted where you had almost every infielder on the left side of second base and they were still pitching him away, which was interesting. Palacios was going fastball away, fastball away in the mid to upper 80s, yet they were playing him the shift over on the left side when he was batting from the right side. And I think that's because they were still expecting him on outer fastballs to still be out and around, which I think is showing you that he's got a little bit of an approach issue right now. He's 18 years old. It's just fine. But I wanted to make something clear here. It's just he's not on that same level, in my opinion, in terms of hit tool and just feel to hit as a Wander Franco was at 18 years old, or even a Julio Rodriguez was at 18 years old. That's not to say that Jason Dominguez won't be a superstar, but I just want to emphasize, especially not seeing this in person, I want to emphasize that the expectations being placed on this poor kid are not fair to him. He is very gifted, has insane raw power. I saw it with the home run, but he also is very, very raw, and he looks like an 18-year-old out there, which is just fine. But to compare him to Mickey Mantle and all of these ridiculous comparisons that we're getting, I have ridiculous friends that are Yankees fans and said that they wouldn't even trade him for anybody in baseball not named Shohei Otani. Like, there's a long way to go for this guy, and there's been plenty of prospects that you think the sky's the limit and they don't totally tap into it. I am really excited about what I saw from Dominguez in terms of his physicality, in terms of his raw bat speed, and from the left side, I came away a lot more encouraged. His lower half was more consistent from the left side. He was more consistently on time from the left side, but there's still a lot of moving parts there as well, and he was able to fight off a pitch that was in on his hands, got in on him, but because he's so damn strong, went the other way for a base hit, and then he showed the speed, stretched it into a double, He's strong enough to fight off pitches legitimately off the hands, and that's something that will definitely be helpful for him. And I think as he realizes how easy he's able to generate power, maybe he'll cut out some of that movement because he doesn't need to use movement to generate power. There's a big weight shift back and a big weight shift forward, and it's just a lot of stuff to time up and a lot 
to really be able to control with your body. He's so strong. He doesn't need all of that. And I'm interested to see how he makes those adjustments moving forward. The left side, though, much more advanced. And I wasn't surprised at all to see what the splits were after I watched him. And I purposely didn't want to see the splits. I didn't want to see anything in particular before I went there because I wanted to get a truly organic and uninfluenced just opinion and scouting report on him. So I really didn't look at any of the numbers and I hadn't looked in in really since he got moved up to low A. So when I saw him though, I was not surprised at all to check the numbers after to see a very high pull rate, which was flirting with 60% and also much better numbers across the board from the left side. It's really just way further along the left-handed swing is than the right-handed swing. And he's going to just need a lot of reps. He's going to need a lot of reps. I don't expect him to move from low A at any point this season. I think he's going to finish out the year in Tampa, which is not an issue at all. It's totally fine. But again, I want to emphasize that he is not Wander Franco. He's not Julio Rodriguez even. He might end up being better than them. Who knows? But he's got some ways to go before we consider him as that caliber of prospect, no matter how physical he is. Is he that much more physical than Yasiel Puig was when he was first coming up? I don't know. But the interesting thing with Dominguez too is that he's almost built like a bodybuilder and that does somewhat concern me with his mobility and his ability to stay in center field. He has really good straight line speed. You can see that on the bases, but he's a guy that needs to get momentum too. He doesn't just accelerate because he's so heavy. He's very heavy on his feet as well. And I don't know if base stealing is going to be a big part of his game because of that lack of acceleration. I also think that could be a problem in center field. I'm not sure he's going to be able to move quickly enough, take as efficient routes and be able to adjust the way a center fielder needs to because of how heavy he is and how much momentum takes him one way or another. He's not the most agile in the world. And I really think he's going to end up a power guy in a corner outfield position with sneaky speed that really makes its way into extra base hits and not as much into stolen bases and things like that, but opportunistic speed, opportunistic stolen bases and stretching things from first to third. You'll see the speed come out in other ways, but I'm not sure base stealing or defense in center field are going to be huge for him. He's got a long way to go on the defensive side. He's got a long way to go in terms of the hit tool but ridiculous raw power, incredible athlete, and it was really fun to be able to just watch him at work and see what all of the hype is about. I can definitely see where the hype is at, but I also think that it is just a little bit too much right now. So I wanted to give my thoughts there, and you can read more on the in-depth breakdown at JustBaseball.com. Another guy that stood out for me, though, on that Yankees low A team was Ryder Green, and Ryder Green was somebody that I was aware of, but didn't have much information on going into the ball game. He's been a guy that's been more in rookie ball up until this year, but was an interesting prospect coming out of the draft in 2018, where he was signed away out of high school in the third round. The Yankees gave him almost double the slot value at $997,000 to sign him away. And he's a good athlete that has plus plus raw power. And he really put it on display in this outing. I was very impressed with how easy he was able to generate some crazy exavilos and some crazy carry on the baseball. He produced three batted balls over 100 miles per hour, including one 109 miles an hour, another 102, and then another at 100 miles per hour. And he sprayed it to all fields. He blasted one opposite field into right center, blasted one to center, and hit one pull side as well. The other interesting part about Green is that he's actually an above average runner as well. You can kind of see him get going on the base paths. Another pretty big guy. I think he's got a shot to play in center a little bit if needed, but more of an above average outfielder in the corners. 
and I was just mesmerized by how much raw power he has given that he's not one of the most talked about guys in the world, but there's a legitimate chance that he cracks that Yankees top 15 prospect list, maybe even better than that if he continues to hit. And the raw power combined with athleticism and surprisingly a pretty decent feel to hit. I didn't think that there was that much length in his swing. There is a little bit of swing and miss there though. That seems to be more pitch rec for me. And I think he's going to get more comfortable with that and get better as the time goes on here. If I could give a comp, I'd say something along the lines of Hunter Renfro, a plus defender in the corner, big arm, sneaky speed. I mean, not not a burner by any means, but above average speed and can really pack a punch. I could see him being a really good platoon option that if he continues to hit a bit better, could end up being a full-time player as he hits 29, 30 years old in the big leagues, kind of like the arc that Hunter Renfro had. Ryder Green is no doubt a watch for me and a guy that I'm going to be following and I'm interested in to see how he continues to hit through the next levels, especially in high A and then getting to double A, but the tools are really, really fascinating. A couple other quick hitters that I wanted to get on. Madison Santos, outfielder, 21 years old. He is a plus-plus runner, fourth outfielder type of profile for me, but also a guy that just has the chance to be a big leaguer. We're in low A right now, so I was just looking for big leaguers. Madison Santos has some big league intrigue to me with his speed, with his just good bat-to-ball skills. I don't expect much power from him, but there was some sneaky bat speed, enough for gap-to-gap power. I think he could easily sneak one out in the short porch in right field. He's a left-handed hitter, but just easy bat-to-ball skills can spray all over the field and doesn't swing and miss a ton. I like him as a fourth outfielder profile, plus runner, 5'10", 165 pounds, so not the biggest dude in the world, but at least fascinating enough to be a guy that I think can climb through the minor leagues based on his speed, defensive ability, and bat-to-ball skills. On the Marlins side of things, Victor Mesa Jr. was really impressive to me. Not to be mistaken with his brother, who is not impressive, Victor Victor Mesa. I know, this is not even a joke. Victor Victor Mesa was the $5 million prized international free agent, and his brother, Victor Mesa Jr., is younger, just 19 years old, and was a $1 million package deal with him. Ironically, Victor Mesa Jr. is better, and Victor Victor just got demoted to high A despite being 25 years old, and he is not good at all. Victor Mesa Jr., nice left-handed swing, and I was really impressed with him as well. Really smooth swing from the left side, quick bat speed, and the thing for him is a classic struggle for a teenage hitter that has a lot of bat speed and that has just relied on the bat speed for a majority of their young career, which is just an inconsistent lower half. Another guy that is just a bit more on the front foot, especially left on left, and we saw that, definitely. But I also saw some examples of him doing a good job of staying back. First at bat was an example of that. He gets a 1-0 changeup, stays back on it, and shoots it into right field for a 107 mile per hour single. That was great. But then I saw some later at-bats left on left, was really caught on the front foot, reaching out, trying to go get it, trying to hit it in front of home plate, not letting the ball come to him, which is classic for a left-on-left matchup against a younger hitter, just struggling to let the ball travel and trust that he can still hit it and keep that front hip closed. Still the same thing a little bit from the right side on good change-ups and good off-speed I really like the swing, though. It's smooth. It's quick. He's an above-average runner. I have him at 50 raw power, 50 to 55 hit tool, 50 to 55 runner. So just intriguing tools across the board. And as a left-handed hitter that could play center field, that could be a fun profile. And the numbers don't look great, but again, a guy that is really young and is still getting acclimated to professional baseball. Everybody that I've talked to in the Marlins ranks, 
players that have played with him. Everybody says this kid really stands out, so I was excited to see him, and I can see why he stands out despite the lack of offensive production at this juncture. I'm going to talk about the guys that are producing offensively in the minor leagues. In fact, as good as anybody right now, that's MJ Melendez and Griffin Conine coming up in just a moment here, as well as Hunter Green. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wild Alaskan Company. We all know that we should be eating more fish to get our omega-3s and protein, but the seafood counter can be intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? What type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality? Wild Alaskan Company takes the guesswork out of buying wild-caught seafood. Wild Alaskan Company delivers quality, sustainably sourced wild-caught seafood right to your door. You can choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination. Every month, there are different specials to explore. Each shipment contains premium wild-caught, individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership at any time, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com MLB. That's wildalaskancompany.com MLB for $15 off your first box. That's wildalaskancompany.com MLB. MLB, make sure you use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Also brought to you in part by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device to check out all of the sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use the promo code locked on. That's one word locked on and you'll get that 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So let's talk some home runs and there's nobody hitting more home runs right now in the minor leagues than Griffin Conine and MJ Melendez. Melendez, the catcher, 22 years old, in the Royal system, Griffin Conine, outfielder in the Marlin system at 24 years old, both in double A and both have exploded this season. Melendez really struggled in 2019. I've talked about him a little bit in the past. He was a guy that was swinging and missing a ton. He always had the power, solid defensive catcher that had all of the upside in the world. He was a second round pick, 52nd overall back in 2017. And Melendez's father, which is the interesting tie-in between the two home run leaders right now, Melendez's father is the head coach at Florida International University and the associate head coach now is Jeff Conine, which is, of course, Griffin Conine's father and a 17-year vet in the big leagues with the Marlins, uh, most notably. So pretty cool that two guys that are going to be coaching together, both of their sons right now, are going home run for home run to try to capture the lead in the minor leagues for total home runs. A very, very cool story there. And I would say that a big part of their success has to do with who their fathers are, especially during quarantine, right? Everybody is very locked down during the peak of COVID and there's not much opportunity to train. And I really think that this plays a part in it because you have MJ Melendez, who has his father, who's a head coach 
coach of a college baseball team and a very good one at that. I'm sure they were able to get some access to the facility, able to train and able to have that built-in coach, an incredible coach in Merville Melendez. Then on the Griffin Conine side of things, of course, he has a 17-year vet to help him work through everything during quarantine. And Jeff Conan was a guy that didn't strike out a lot, made a lot of contacts. Griffin has some of the best raw power in the entire minor leagues, and we're seeing it. He goes oppo, no problem. He goes pull side. He's hit three home runs now in the last week that have gone over 430 feet. Two of them have gone over 450 feet. So the power is undeniable there. I'll start with Melendez, though, because there were a lot of questions on his hit tool, especially after 2019, where he hit 163 in high A as a 20-year-old, comes back this year, he's hitting 291, 380, 644 slash line. He's cut the strikeout rate nearly in half. He struck out 39% of the time in 2019, striking out just 21% of the time here in 2021. He's another guy that has the power to all fields. He can do a lot of different things, and I like the defense behind the dish. I really believe in the defense being above average at the major league level. And speaking of defense, you look at the Royals right now. They extend Salvador Perez, and his bat no doubt plays. I mean, the guy just flat out rakes, but he's actually having the worst defensive season of his big league career. He's graded as one of the worst framers in baseball, one of the worst when it comes to defensive runs saved, and just strikes given for his pitchers. It's not been great for Salvador Perez behind the plate, and you wonder if age is catching up to him behind the dish, but not at the plate. That would be fine. I mean, the contract was a bit ridiculous. I was surprised to see the Royals give Perez the deal they gave him, but I think he's going to be able to hit for a long time, especially in the DH role and can kind of transition into that role. I could see the Royals calling up Melendez by definitely the beginning of next year. Maybe he gets a little cameo at the end of this year and they can transition Salvador into the DH role, which will let him age a bit better. Maybe he even plays first base. I think he's capable of playing there as well. He has a little bit in the past, but Melendez is the catcher of the future here, especially with what he's doing offensively. I mean, there's there's not much more he can be doing right now at the plate. His home run to fly ball rate is insane at 28%, but it's been sustainable. It's been sitting there the entire year. And this isn't in high A. This is double A where he started the year after a terrible year in high A. So really encouraged by everything I've seen from him so far to cut the strikeout rate down, to boost the walk rate, to just be putting up ridiculous power numbers. It's just been easy for him so far through the minor leagues. And he made some major adjustments in the offseason. I know that for a fact. And it's good to see those starting to transition and translate into his game right now through the minor leagues. With Griffin Conine, very similar. He made some major adjustments to his swing during the time off as well. And has constantly been adjusting through the season because he doesn't get pitched to very much. He walks as much as anybody in the minor leagues. And his numbers are pretty crazy. In Conine's last 161 games, he has homered 51 times. That is absolutely absurd. His last 161 games, he has homered 51 times. He's walking at about a 15-14% clip so far this year between high A and double A. The walk rate has dropped in double A so far, which is only natural. The command is great there, but he has really caught fire now in double A, already hitting six home runs, and I think they've come all in his last five games. What happened this year, too, for him is he started out really poorly in high A this season, struck out a bunch, and then got hot and really figured it out. Then goes to double A, strikes out a bunch. I'm saying like striking out eight of his first 12 at-bats, something crazy like that. And then again, 
catches fire. He's always going to strike out a lot. I think that's going to be a part of his game. I think it's going to steadily improve. And if he can get it in the low 30s, high 20s range, that's going to play for him because of the power that he has and because of his ability to walk and his solid defense in the corner. He's among the leaders in the minors in outfield assists. He's able to move pretty well for a guy of his size. The raw power, like I said, is insane at 450 foot homers, no problem. And now that he's quieted things down at the plate a little bit, he is really focused on, like I was saying with Dominguez, Griffin Conine's aware of his raw strength and really wanted to allow that to shine through, not have anything else taking away from it. If you're worrying about timing, it doesn't matter how strong you are. So he really simplified things, made it easier to time things up and relied on his just natural ability to generate power. So there's almost no movement now in Conine's swing. It's much more compact. It's much more efficient. And he's still able to generate a ridiculous amount of power. So I expect the strikeout rate to continue to drop. He went his first game just yesterday. It was his first ball game where he hit a home run and didn't strike out in the same game. So that's a good sign. It's also not a great thing to have going this deep into the season. But I think that he can get the strikeout rate in the low 30s, high 20s would be even better. But even if he doesn't, I think a Joey Gallo type of production is not too far-fetched. I mean, the numbers really do line up in the minor leagues. I know Conine's a bit older, but you talk about the lost year last year, so it's a bit hard to hold that against him. He also had that 50-game suspension back in 2018 due to testing positive for an amphetamine, which was Ritalin, uh, which is also just so ridiculous that that's a rule and that they even test for that. But anyways, he's had a lot of missed time, and... I think he's made up for lost time. I think the strikeout rate will continue to improve. And I'm very sold on both of these guys being able to produce and be legitimate major league players, especially with what they're doing at the double A level. So I wanted to wrap up with Hunter Green real quick because he's starting to get to the point where we need to consider him as one of the best prospects in baseball. Really like that good. He needs to be considered as a top 10 guy moving forward if he continues to build off of starts like this. I know MLB.com or MLB Pipeline has him at like 53. Some other outlets have him lower. Some have him higher, but I really think that he's got to be considered in the top 20, maybe even better than that if he puts together a few more starts like this. I'm not comparing him to Jacob deGrom, but he is starting to command the 102 pretty darn well, and I don't know very many starters that command 102. If he can continue to build on that and start commanding triple digits, that's something that really only Jacob deGrom does, and he has a similar arsenal, it took DeGrom some time to develop that change up to where it is and to develop the slider to where it is. And I think Hunter Green can easily do that. What they have in common is they're both great athletes. They were both hitters as well when they were coming up. I know that DeGrom did it in college, but Hunter Green even hit into his first year of pro ball uh, a good deal. So they both have that athleticism, which makes it easier to repeat your mechanics and in turn easier to throw strikes and hit your spots. And I really think that Hunter Green has the capability to be one of the best pitchers in baseball in a few years because of his just raw ability paired with the athleticism and now showing his ability to learn, continue to improve, and expand on his repertoire. The changeup has really come a long way. Watching him in his last couple outings, it's really become a usable pitch. And setting up 102 with a good changeup is unfair. And then a sharp slider now that is breaking harder and later, he's going to be a problem. And it's not a surprise to me that his last outing, he goes six and a third of one hit ball, 
10 strikeouts, one walk. The only issue for him is that at times the fastball flattens out and he has been a bit susceptible to the long ball. That's the one thing that holds him back a little bit. But now that he hits his spots a bit more and if he continues to hit his spots a bit more, then this is going to be a much different look to Hunter Green. The problem before was that his fastball would tail back over the middle of the plate and even if it's 102, if it's over the middle, these guys will catch up to it. That was what was holding him back a little bit. But I'm seeing him start to get better at hitting those spots, not having it tail back over the middle of the plate, and really getting more comfortable in that regard. Because in those first few games in AAA, he was giving up a ton of homers. He gave up six homers now in nine starts, but the last couple starts has kept the ball in the yard, and I think that's got to be a very encouraging sign for the Reds, for Reds fans right now. And the command, again, really plays. He's got 31 walks in 85 and two-thirds innings, 120 strikeouts between AA and AAA. And six of the eight home runs he's given up this year have come in AAA. And now that he's starting to hone in on that, I think the ERA is going to continue to drop. Of course, the FIP will continue to drop. And he's going to turn into a lights-out type of pitcher, as he already is right now. Very excited to see how he continues to develop. He could be another player that gets a cameo in the big leagues before the end of the season, especially if the Reds are somehow going on a hot streak and competitive. I don't see it happening, but they might want to call him up and let him get a little look anyways and get the fans excited because you know that they'll pack the stadium for a look at Hunter Green. I mean, he's been one of the most talked about prospects when he was drafted, given his ability to hit and pitch and just how unique he was as a high schooler. And now he's kind of back to that. He disappeared for a little bit with the injuries, but he's still that guy. And we're really seeing why people were fawning over him back when he was drafted. We'll be keeping up with Hunter Green in his next start. And I'll have a full breakdown of that start. I'm going to watch that with intent next time for sure, as he just inches closer to the big leagues. And we will have ongoing coverage of the home run race in the minor leagues. Also an interview with Griffin Conan coming up in the next week or so that I think you'll really enjoy. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Monday.